Hear now God's word from the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of the Lord. We're continuing on in our series, The Way, this morning. Remember, we're looking at the idea that Jesus' ministry sets up not only salvation for us, just to sit in the ways that we had always lived in, in our sin and death, but Jesus sets up a new way. Jesus sets up the way for all humans to really live in after he leaves this earth when he goes in the ascension to the right hand of the Father. And so the early Christians used to call themselves the way, the followers of the way. And it later got kind of shorthanded down to Christians because it meant like little Christs, ones who follow after Christ. And so it kind of got shorthanded down. But there's still the basic idea of being a Christian is to follow after the way of Jesus Christ. And in fact, that's his command, right? That was his command that if those wished to come after him, they would what? take up their cross and they would follow him. Okay, so there's an idea that we are to follow after the way of Christ. So the first week we looked at Jesus's baptism and his temptation and we saw that Jesus starts his public ministry with being baptized into a baptism of re repentance, uh, something he didn't even need to do, but he did it so that he might be identified with us, with human beings who have sinned and who do need repentance. And so we saw that Jesus' beginning of his ministry, not just in his baptism, but also in the 40 days he spends in the wilderness and his temptation, are all designed to immediately associate Jesus and his entire ministry with all of humanity. Not just the Jewish people who had been eagerly anticipating and waiting for the Messiah, but all of humanity would, be, would benefit from the Messiah's ministry. And that's right at the beginning because he goes through the very things that are common to all of humanity, repentance for all of our sins, and then temptation that is common to all of us. And then we saw last week his healing ministry. And we saw that Jesus didn't discriminate in his healing ministry. In the very same story, uh, hardly even catching a breath, Jesus is on the way to heal a prominent figure from society, a ruler over a synagogue, and he is on his way to do that. And while he's on his way, a woman who had been had some kind of bleeding going on for many decades, uh, reaches out and grabs just the hem of his robe, and she's healed. 
And so we see that an outcast of society, somebody who others wouldn't have dared touch or allowed in normal society because she would have been seen as unclean because she was constantly touching blood in various different ways or whatever. And so she would have been thrown out from the normal kind of association and gatherings in her culture and her day. And yet she is also healed by Jesus. And so we saw that Jesus doesn't discriminate, that he will reach out to the highest of people if they are to reach out to him in faith and the same with the lowest of society. And so Jesus will honor the faith that comes to him that desires to be healed and restored. And who are we to begin to draw distinctions and lines where we say that we're going to help these people and not those people. We're going to um, ignore these people because they're probably just going to buy alcohol with that money or whatever else. And we just go by in our lives and we ignore them. Who are we to make distinctions and not follow the commands of Jesus to care for those whom we come across. Sometimes we have our blinders on, right? So last week we looked at that idea that we would be kind of like the healers in our society. You know, yesterday I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, uh, actually I was listening to a comedian, Jim Gaffigan, and he was talking about how all the, uh, the hospitals that are the greatest hospitals are named after saints or holy places in Israel, and he was making a joke about like, you know, that they're supposed to all be about science, but here they are named after faith. And I, I paused it and I said, hey kids, do you know why that they're all named after saints or places in Israel? And my kids were like, no, but I'm sure you're going to tell us. <laughs> and I said, it's because Christians were the leading force of medicine for centuries. That Christians saw the call of Jesus to provide healing in people's lives, spiritually and physically, and they invested lots of money in starting hospitals so that people could be cared for in, in a holistic way. And so many of the great hospitals that we see around the world have Christian heritage. They were started by Christians who cared for the whole person. And so that's what we're called to be as Christians. Today, we're looking at another concept. And this idea of following after Jesus, following in the way of Jesus, and that is the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you, if I were to say that the central message of Jesus as he's here on the earth is the kingdom of God, would, would raise your hand and agree with that before I said that statement? Probably not. You all probably have different conceptions about what the central message of Jesus' ministry was about. And yet, if you really go back and you read the Gospels, and you read them closely, and then if you begin to read Paul in the light of the Gospels, you'll begin to understand that the entire message of the whole New Testament is bent towards the idea of the kingdom of God. Jesus says the phrase, the kingdom of God, probably more than anything else. And we see in our passages this morning in Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is always in reference to the kingdom of God. But Matthew, being a good Jew, would always omit the word God wherever he could because you never want to take the Lord's name in vain, so you would replace it with other things. And so he, he would just call the kingdom of God in the other gospels, he would say the kingdom of heaven. It's the same idea because who rules in heaven? God, right? And so it's the same idea. It's the same concept. So this concept is all over the Gospels. The one Gospel that it probably is a little bit hidden in or is not as obvious as the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John doesn't mention the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God very often, but it does. And if you listen or look at the context of the rest of the Gospel of John, you can see that John is still very much talking about God's kingdom coming here on earth 
in very, very significant ways throughout his ministry. And so you can make a very good argument that the center of Jesus' preaching and teaching and his entire ministry was about the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, John the baptizer, who is preparing the way for the Messiah, what's his message out in the desert? Anybody remember? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's preparing the way for the one who's going to break the kingdom of God onto this earth to do his ministry. That's Jesus. So the kingdom of God is a significant, significant message in the New Testament. Now, in our parables that we see today, Jesus teaching, and he talks about a field that has a treasure, and he talks about a pearl, he talks about casting a net, right? He talks, gives all these different analogies to what the kingdom of God is like. Well, I want to say that from these we can learn that the kingdom of God is of great worth. The kingdom of God is of great worth. Now, why is the kingdom of God of great worth? First, let's, let's ask the idea, what is a kingdom? Is the United States a kingdom? No. Why? We don't have a king. And that's by design, right? Our design is that we don't have a king, that we're not ruled by one, that we're ruled by the masses, by the people, that the people rule through democratic elections and representatives, republic representatives, all right? So this is the idea of our government. But for most of human history, and still in some places on this earth today, the government is run by one person, and that person's a king or a queen, right? It's a monarchy. And so the kingdom itself gains value not because necessarily of the people, but because of who? The king. The king. Because if the king can't follow through on his promises to bring peace for his people, is his kingdom worth anything? No. And what will happen? The people will rise up and they'll defeat the king, right? And they'll overthrow him with a new king, right? And so the value of the kingdom, the, the worth of following underneath the king is directly associated with the king himself. So when we understand here that Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is of great value, what is he really talking about? Is he talking about some abstract organization? No. He's talking about the king himself. He's talking about the worth and the value of the king. Now, when I was a little kid, <clears throat> it's changed a little bit, but when I was a little kid, we used to get these catalogs every year conveniently right near Christmas time that had all the toys that were coming out in that Christmas season or the next season after it or wherever, right? How many of you had that when you were kids? Okay? And how many of you remember sitting down and just pouring through every single one and you would find the toy, the one toy that caught your eye that you were like, oh, man, I want that toy. And you'd circle it, right? Sometimes you'd circle it even bigger and brighter than any of the other little like, check marks you put and stuff just so if your mom happened to be looking through the catalog, they'd see that that's the toy that you want. How many of you would have done anything in those days to get that toy? I would have, I did, sometimes I did anything, right? It doesn't matter what. Tell, you're going to give me money so I can get this toy? I'll do whatever you want me to do. It was of such worth, such value to me, I was willing to do anything for it. 
So this is what Jesus is talking about in these, this parable, these parables where he's talking about the worth. When it's a merchant who's trying to find great pearls and he finds a pearl of, of great value, he goes and he sells everything that he has so he can purchase this one pearl because of its extreme great value, right? It's extreme great worth. And so everything else pales in comparison to this object of desire, that this object of desire would be the one thing that you would be willing to forsake all else to get because it's so valuable. And Jesus is saying that that is the kingdom of heaven, that that is what the value of God, the king of all things, is. And when God comes and offers you offers you a place at his table so that you could dine with the king, you should sell everything else in pursuit of that one great worth, the king himself. I've fallen far short of this. I've spent a lot of my time and energy chasing after things that are of far less value, far less worth. And I would venture to guess that if you evaluated your life, you probably have done the same. If you look at the way our society is set up, all the self-help books are usually oriented towards self-help towards what? Material success. Material success. It's all about gaining the best job, being the best, most productive worker, or or gaining happiness, all these various different things that come from kind of a materialistic point of view, perspective. And yet, when it comes to our spirituality, how many of you found time this week to spend at least just 10 minutes in prayer and in reading Scripture for the enrichment of your relationship with the supreme worth of all things, the King of Heaven. Notice my hand didn't go up. We pursue all these other things, and we put this value on material success, on worldly goods, and and worldly power, and worldly things, and we neglect the one thing that we should be selling all of that for, and that's the king and a relationship with the king. Where's your heart? Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to be a person of the way, then you're going to leave all that is less important behind, and you're going to pursue with extreme vigor that which is of supreme worth, the king. Where are you at with that today? Second thing I think we see in these parables is that the kingdom of God is universal. The kingdom of God is universal. Now remember, Jesus' disciples, a good number of them, what was their previous job before they were disciples of Jesus? Fishermen. And in fact, the way that he calls several of those fishermen, right? What does he say to them? Come with me. I will make you fishers of men. And so it's great that he uses an analogy here of fishing. 
That God has the kingdom of heaven in mind that it's not just a small little like, you know, I'm, I've got a lure and I'm going to attract just a particular kind of fish and I'm really going to try and bait that fish onto my lure. No, no, no. This is a wide net that is cast into the sea so that it would ensnare all that it would come in contact with and it would be dragged up onto the shore and then just like fishermen would do at the end of time the angels are going to discern and go through and figure out what are what is righteous and what is not righteous now in the days of jesus to the jewish people he was talking to what he meant was that the net was going to be wider than just for the jewish people That this salvation, that the kingdom of heaven was going to be for more than just the Jews. How many of you in here are Jews? Okay, good. I've asked that before and nobody's changed their mind on that. So that's probably a good thing. None of us are Jews. So we all are beneficiaries of the fact that the kingdom of God is a wider net. A net that was thrown to capture not just one particular kind of fish, but all fish. So that all might come to know the one true king of the universe. What a blessing that the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not just for a select group. But I'm going to say this real quick. One of the things, if you've ever followed the astronauts who have been up to the International Space Station talk about, is they talk about a change in their perspective that so deeply rocks them to the core that they're unable to go about their daily lives the way that they were before. How many of you know what I'm talking about? What is it? When they look down on the planet and they see one big ball with little spots of land that people live on, do they see dividing lines between countries? Do they see dividing lines between cultures? No. All of a sudden, the world becomes incredibly small, and they see this one world on the backdrop of this ginormous, empty space of the universe, and they say, we have a lot more in common than we have apart, right? And they began to see a unity that should be among the human race that the rest of us seem to not be able to get. And they try and come back and challenge us. I just started watching a a series on Netflix this last week called One Strange Rock. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's about this whole concept, this whole idea that we all share this one strange rock together. And Jesus' vision was before anybody went into space trying to say the same thing. And so here's my question to us. As a church, do we care more about the world that we exist in or do we care more about our own little society that we've created inside of these walls? Who are we? Are we people of the way? Or are we just another mirror image of the people of the world who create their little fiefdoms and kingdoms and build themselves up and make themselves to be great in their own little spheres and ignore all others who are outside of their influence? Who are we? 
as First Presbyterian Church of Dearborn? Are we a people who care more deeply for those who are outside of these walls than we do for those who are inside of these walls, knowing that we care immensely for each other inside of these walls? I'm not saying denigrate how much we care for each other inside of these walls. We're supposed to be family. We're supposed to love each other. But we're supposed to, as a family, love the world together, right? Without distinction, without discrimination, loving all whom we come across as people of the way. We are the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God. Jesus, his whole ministry, was set up that the kingdom of God would be broken upon the earth and that he would leave his ragtag group of followers to establish what he started when he walked on the earth. Because every single step Jesus took, every life that he interacted with, was a proclaiming for the kingdom of God that this is God's. We are his people. We are his kingdom. We've talked a lot about repentance in the weeks before this. We've talked about the fact that repentance meant kind of like a change of mind or transformation of our heart. An abrupt turning from going one direction to turning around and going a different direction based on that change of heart, that change of mind. If we want to be the kingdom of God, doing kingdom work, that kind of transformation must happen in our own hearts and in our own minds. So that we stop seeking after our own little kingdoms and our own little securities and our own desires and the valuable things of this world. And we begin to seek after the one true king and the supreme value of all things. And when we do that, we will become like an embassy, an outpost an outpost for the kingdom of God in a foreign land, doing work of of being ambassadors among all those who don't know the kingdom of God, who don't know the king that we serve, sharing the good news of the lordship of Jesus Christ and his victory over sin and death and his offer to all of us to come and to sit at his table with the king. we would become that kind of people. That's what our discernment process is about. If you weren't there last week when we shared where the session has gone for the last two, almost two and a half years, and where we're calling now the congregation to join us, is that we don't want anything less than the kingdom of the one true king. We don't want anything less. And so we're going to sit as long as it takes and listen for the one true king to tell us what he desires of us. Patiently. The interesting thing about this process 
And I deeply have held this for many years, and I held it before the session began the process, and I even told them about it before we started the process, is that I think that the process of listening and surrendering ourselves to the one true king and asking for his will is more important than where we end up at the end. That God could just tell us right now, we could just say, God, what do we want? And he could open the earth from, from on top of us, the heavens from on top of us, and he could split apart the roof of our church and he could speak down in glory and he could tell us exactly what we are to do. Could he not? But he wants us to surrender our hearts to him in listening. Because he could do that, and what will we do afterwards? Complain about how he sent us into the desert to die with no food, right? We've seen it before. And so he wants us to become the people. Become the people who desire the king more than anything else. So that we would be ready to be his kingdom outside these walls. Friends, I tell you right now, that the kingdom of God is of great, great worth, far more than you can imagine, far more than you can fathom. And yet, the kingdom of God is for you. God has called you into it. And the kingdom of God is for your neighbor. And it's for your mother and your father and your children and your co-workers. And you're called to be that kingdom so that they might see God through you and want to know the king too. The kingdom of God, the central message of Jesus Christ as the people of the way, will we listen? Amen. Amen.